You're listening to the Hiccups and History podcast, hosted by a very tired college student. This episode was mastered by Trey DeFalco. <laughs> Ancient warfare. When I say those words, different images download into the minds of different people. Some will see grand castles, heroic knights on horseback, and a king on a throne. Others will think back further to the grand campaigns of Caesar, Hannibal, and Alexander, the vast empires of Rome and Persia, the armies of Sparta, and the chariots of Egypt. These are strong, evocative images that resonate with us because they resonated throughout history, shaping it with their outcomes or inspiring others who themselves would shape history. What is often left out of the gallery of historical images which flood our minds are the naval battles of the ancient world. To most people, battles at sea were not a big deal until the dawn of the age of gunpowder and sails, the age of pirates and the adventures on the high seas. People seem to forget that before the age of cannons and sails, naval battles still happened, and their outcomes shaped history just as often as the battles which occurred on land. With that in mind, I want to take the time to help paint a new picture of ancient naval battles and of how freaking chaotic and insane they were. This is the story of the First Punic War. This would normally be the part in a History Channel documentary where a grand musical crescendo would occur, a map would be zoomed in on, the ocean waves would swirl and flow, and two CGI ships would crash into one another as a title card appears. This, sadly, is not a History Channel documentary. This is a podcast about the faceplants of history. Speaking of which, let's jump into the action of how Rome defeated Carthage on the high seas by using new technology and a stubborn determination to rival that of a well-used crash test dummy trying to break through a brick wall using the power of a cannon and its head. Let's set the mood, shall we? As the 200 BCs, yes, I'm going to use BC, not BCE, because BC flows off the tongue a lot better than BCE. The extra E is just clumsy. Anyway, as the 200s BC grew to a middle, two empires took the center stage of world history. The eminently wealthy and powerful empire of Carthage and the young upstart republic of Rome. The stage was set, lines were memorized, dance moves practiced, props in place, all that was needed was for the curtains to unfurl. The event to unfurl the curtains was the occupation of the Sicilian city of Masana by a group of Mamertine mercenaries from Italy, brought over by King Pyrrhus, who was initially from Greece. These mercenaries angered the city of Syracuse, who then attacked them. The mercenaries then asked Carthage for aid. When Carthage aided them, the mercenaries got greedy, big surprise there, and turned on Carthage and called for Rome for help. Rome answered the call, because why not, and the First Punic War began. At the outset of the war, Rome had a small 200-galley coastal fleet and a very powerful army, which it managed to land in Sicily. Carthage had a large, experienced, and powerful navy, but a mercenary army of dubious quality. During the early stages of the war, fighting was mostly contained to Sicily. However, the Carthaginian naval superiority soon grew troublesome as reinforcing and supplying the troops in Sicily became harder and harder while Carthage ruled the waves. Thus. Rome decided to take the fight to the Carthaginians and build a fleet. Now, it's time for another digression, because in order for all of you listening to know what the hell I'm talking about when I use words like trireme, quinquireme, and corvus, I first must explain how ancient naval combat worked. At the time of the First Punic War, ships looked like giant rowboats with a sail and a crescent front end and a flat deck. 
The standard ship of the day was the trireme, which loosely translates to three rows. This is because each side of the ship had three decks with rowers, each rower had a single oar, and propelled the ship forward using the might of the human body. The quincream was the same style of ship, but instead had five banks of rowers, which made the ships faster and bigger, but less maneuverable. Combat between these types of ships boiled down to what is essentially a giant game of bumper cars, on water, for keeps. Every ship was affixed with a metal ram on the front of the ship, usually under the water at the bottom of the crescent, which gave them the appearance of a very sharp pointed chin. The ships would form up and take it in turns to row full steam into the enemy lines and aim for another ship. At this point, the attacking ship had a couple of options. Option A was to ram the opposing ship either head on or, if you were lucky in the heat of battle, hit the side of the ship and T-bone them. The objective here was to puncture the ship's hull and sink it or crack it in half if you hit it on the side. Option B was to row alongside the ship and try and break off the oars of the opposing ship using the front end of your ship. This would effectively turn them into a giant wooden duck sitting in the middle of the ocean. Option C was to load your ship up with wooden planks and armed marines and try to come up alongside the enemy ship and board it and take it over. This option worked sometimes, but other times it just ended with a lot of armored soldiers falling into the water to go knock on Poseidon's door. The final option was to row near the enemy ships and attack them with a selection of ranged weapons. This selection included, but was not limited to, arrows, javelins, rocks, larger rocks fired out of catapults, larger arrows fired out of ballistas, boiling pots of oil, boiling pots of oil which were also on fire, and torches attached to axes. Having heard all of that, you now know more about ancient naval combat than the Romans did when they stood up and declared, let's build a navy. Now, according to Polybius, Rome found a beached Carthaginian quimcarim off the coast of Italy one day, you know, as you do, and the Romans decided to pull an Area 51 with that UFO, unidentified floating object, and reverse engineer it and begin producing a fleet of copycat quimcarims. While all that was happening, the Romans conscripted some coastal Italian allies with experience on the high seas to train their troops to row properly. This training was surfer school style, with benches and oars on the beach. This is what Polybius has told us, and his account is a bit, how do I put this, mythical. The reality is that Rome had access to quincareams courtesy of their coastal Italian allies. Polybius' account is likely being used as a literary device to show the Roman tactics of taking other people's stuff, making it better than them, and then conquering them with it. Regardless of the historical accuracy of Polybius, by the spring of 260, Rome had built a fleet of 100 quincareems and 20 triremes, ready to set sail and topple the mighty Carthaginian Empire. Under the command of the consul Aeneas Cornelius Scipio, an advanced scouting force of 17 ships sailed into the Straits of Messana. Eager for supplies and glory, Scipio led his scouting force into the harbor town of Lepara and dropped anchor for the night. The next morning, the Romans awoke to find the Carthaginians had boxed them into the harbor. In an inspiring show of discipline and bravery, the Roman sailors abandoned ship and Scipio, seized with fright, did nothing and was captured by the Carthaginians along with his 17 ships. Riding high off the capture of the Roman consul, the Carthaginian fleet sailed straight for the Roman fleet, which was now commanded by the other consul, Gaius Dullius. The two fleets met in battle shortly after near Malaya. Both fleets were equal in size and number, but the Romans had a trick up their sleeve, a cheat code. You see, the Romans knew that their strength lay in land battles, always had and always would. So they thought, 
what if we brought the land battle onto the sea? Using a bit of clever engineering, possibly created by Archimedes, but definitely originating in Syracuse, the Romans built the Corvus, which was a boarding ramp with massive hooks attached to a swivel mount on the front end of the boat. The idea of the Corvus was that when a Roman ship came up alongside a Carthaginian ship, the ramp would slam down hooks sinking into the wood, locking the two ships together. Then, the Roman marines, which were basically just Roman legionaries on a boat, were able to storm over to the virtually undefended Carthaginian ship and take it over. Essentially, the Corvus allowed the Romans to turn a sea battle into a land battle. Like I said, cheat code. When the Carthaginians met the Roman fleet in battle, they were wholly unprepared to fight against the Corvus, and ended up losing 31 ships to the Roman marines, including the enemy flagship, whose commander barely escaped capture. So now the score is roughly 1 to 1, and the Romans are feeling pretty good about themselves. Sure, they lost a consul and 17 ships, but they won a major sea battle and captured 31 ships. Carthage, on the other hand, was looking around dumbfounded. Their mighty fleet, which had come to dominate the Mediterranean, had just lost to a bunch of Italian farmers armed with a spiked plank of wood. Needless to say, the Carthaginian admiral, Hannibal, no, not that one, was arrested and killed for losing the battle. The two sides skirmished and traded victories and losses for a couple years until, at the Battle of Echnomus, the Romans and Carthaginians met each other in a naval battle which is reported to be the largest naval battle in history. It still holds this record to this day, and this was before gunpowder. As the two titanic armadas faced off, the experience and skill of the Carthaginian navy amounted to nothing, with them losing nearly a hundred ships and sinking only 24 Roman vessels. The Romans, brimming with self-confidence, regrouped, rearmed, loaded up a massive invasion fleet, and set sail for North Africa. The Roman navy during this invasion was unstoppable and swept aside any attempt the Carthaginians made to stop them. The landing forces, however, hit a bit of a snag by the name of Xanthippus. The Carthaginians had hired the great Greek general to stop the Romans before they took all of North Africa and began knocking on Carthage's front door. To that end, Xanthippus took some troops and some elephants, marched out of Carthage, and smashed the Romans in pitched battle. Oh, and he managed to capture another consul. So now the score is like 2-3 to three and Rome is still on top. That is when a new challenger appeared. The Roman navy, sailing near the coast of Sicily, failed to notice the change in weather and rode headlong into a massive storm, which claimed most of the fleet. Of the 364 ships which sailed in the fleet, only 80 survived. This puts the score roughly at Carthage 2, Rome 3, and Mother Nature 1. Shaken but not stirred by this, Rome built another fleet in record time, three months if Polybius is to be believed, and sent two new consuls out to hunt more Carthaginians. This new fleet met up with the remains of the old fleet and set out to capture some key Carthaginian strongholds along the coast. The next year, under new consular leadership, the fleet set out again, raided the Sicilian coastline, apparently found the legendary island of the Lotus Eaters, you know, the one from the Odyssey, and then accidentally beached their entire fleet on a shoal during low tide. Now, luckily for them, the tides came back and the fleet was free to sail once more, right into another massive storm which destroyed 150 ships. So, by my count, this ties Mother Nature up with Carthage in terms of victories. The Senate, 
getting the feeling that the ocean really doesn't like them right now, decided against building a new fleet to augment the freshly storm-blasted one, and focused on land fighting for the next few years. This is where Hannibal's old man Hamilcar enters the historical stage, and proceeds to spend the rest of the war fighting a very well-run guerrilla defense of Sicily against the Romans, matching them tit-for-tat on the battlefield and showing his son how to properly kick Roman rear. With Sicily devolving into an intractable stalemate worthy of the most intense game of chess, the consul Polybius Claudius Polcare decided to shove the chessboard aside and slam battleship back down onto the table. Forming up the remains of Rome's once mighty fleet, Polcare set his sights on the Carthaginian stronghold of Drapana. Quick side note before I move on, I want to note that Polcare translates roughly in Latin to handsome, so I kind of like to picture Polcare as a sort of historical Gilderoy Lockhart for all of you Harry Potter fans out there. Anyway, Polcare devised a plan to send a portion of his fleet under the cover of night to sneak into the Drapana harbor undetected while the rest of his fleet engaged the enemies up front. Once dawn broke, he would then order his hidden ships to sail up from behind and smash the Carthaginians in the rear and secure victory. As epic as this plan seemed on paper, Polker was a bit too clever for his own good. Polker had overestimated the skill of his own troops and underestimated the intelligence of the Carthaginians. As the Roman fleet approached Drapana, it did so in an undisciplined and disorderly mass, which was quickly spotted by the Carthaginians, who sprung the trap before it could be put into place, and caught the Romans completely off guard. Polcare, seeing that his plan had completely failed, attempted to order a retreat. However, because his ships were in such a disorderly mass, many of them ended up smashing into one another or couldn't turn properly and had to wait for other ships to turn. This left them wide open to the well-disciplined Carthaginian fleet, who proceeded to decimate the Roman fleet. Polcare, for his part, was unique among consuls to lose to the Carthaginians and actually managed not to be captured. He would, however, be forced to resign from office in disgrace and be forced to appoint a dictator. With the Carthaginians having completely destroyed another Roman fleet, I'm inclined to give the victory point over to Carthage. However, I will actually be giving this victory point over to the gods, and here is why. According to Livy and Cicero, on the eve of battle, Polcare had ordered that the auspices be taken. This was standard practice before a battle for pretty much all ancient armies right up until the rise of Christianity. What is special about the auspices Polcare ordered is that he ordered they be taken from the sacred chickens. What are the sacred chickens, you may ask? Well, hold on, I'm getting to that. The sacred chickens were a group of chickens dedicated to the Roman gods. Whenever the auspices were taken, the chickens would be fed. If the chickens ate, the omen was good. If they refused to eat, the omen was bad. When Polcare ordered the chickens be fed, they refused to eat when food was placed before them. Polcare, enraged by the lack of poultry pecking going on, ordered that the chickens be thrown overboard, and then legend states that he claimed... If they're not hungry, perhaps they're thirsty. Polcare, brimming with confidence in his defiance of the gods, set sail and got his ships completely wrecked by the Carthaginians. Seeing as how Polcare obviously lost the battle because the gods said he should not have gone to fight, and he went to fight and killed the sacred chickens in the process, I am inclined to state that the score is now Carthage 2, Nature 2, Rome 3, and the gods 1. At this point, most people would give up. Suver peace take a year off, something, anything would keep fighting. Rome had lost two fleets to storms, two to the Carthaginians, they lost a land invasion, and a whole fleet to the wrath of the sacred chickens. Most people would give up, but not Rome. Rome decided to build one last navy, one last fleet, and planned for one final battle. 
This time, the Roman commander, Consul Lutatius Catullus, intensely drilled the Roman fleet before setting them against the Carthaginians to ensure they were ready for battle. When Rome took the sea and met the Carthaginian fleet, the tables had been turned from the start of the war. Rome now outnumbered, outgunned, and outclassed the Carthaginian fleet. The Battle of the Aegates Island was a brutal slogfest, but Rome won in the end, obliterating the final Carthaginian fleet, cutting the Barca family in Sicily off from Carthage, and effectively ending the war. In the final count, Rome had lost roughly 700 warships, 1,000 transports, untold numbers of human lives, and yet somehow still won the frickin' war. Why and how could Rome do this? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, Rome had a massive population at the time of the Punic War, and could afford to build a bridge to empire comprised of drowned sailors and still have enough men left over to march across. The second, and main reason Rome won, was because they refused to give up. A mixture of pride and stubbornness created a culture with a collective mindset which viewed defeat with a masochistic enthusiasm to get back out there and try again. In the early days of its history, no one was allowed to beat Rome. The Samnites had beaten Rome, and Rome came back and crushed them into the ground. Pyrrhus beat Rome over and over again, and Rome, during these battles, decided to take the phrase, if I'm going down, you're going down with me, to a whole new level, and then got back up and did it again and again. Carthage would go head-to-head -head with this mentality in the First Punic War, as we just saw, and Hannibal would face it once again in the Second Punic War, and it would be his downfall. Because even though Rome lost every battle it threw against him, lost legion after legion to him at the Battle of Cannae, they got back up, said bring it on, and continued to fight. And out of all of Rome's enemies, Carthage in particular would be the one to learn this lesson the hard way. Rome was the little engine that could. It thought it could, it thought it could, it thought it could, all the way until your city was burned to the ground and your fields sown with salt. And no better phrase exemplifies this than when Cato put it at the end of every single Senate session. Carthago delenda est. Carthage must be destroyed, and Rome would never stop. Thank you for listening to the Hiccups in History podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show.